Hello, welcome to Answering the Call. My name is William Hemsworth, and welcome to the Elevation Radio Network. Here in Answering the Call, we talk to pastors, ministers, other ministry leaders about their projects and how they answered the call to do what they're doing. Uh, today, I'm honored to have Steve Christie. Steve Christie is a, a author, an apologist. He's written books such as Why Protestant Bibles Are Smaller, and They Aren't We're Not of Us. Uh, Steve, how are you doing today? I'm doing really good, and I tell you what, the honor is all mine uh, being on uh, your show again. It seems like just yesterday uh, we were having a discussion, and that was well over a year ago. Where is the time going? Yeah, time absolutely flies, doesn't it? I mean, at that point, I was trying to do this full-time from home, and since then I got into teaching. Yeah, time has just flown by, but thanks again. Thanks for coming back on so we can catch up a little bit. Sure. We talk about all the all the things you're you're doing out there. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I mean, just since the last time we talked, it's just been kind of an explosion. I mean, I've been involved, as you know, in debates in the past, and I've been just doing a lot of interviews and, um, you know, like with yourself, which I'm privileged to be on. And uh, I've been on other had other interviews like with Dr. Uh, uh, Mike Brown, as well as Dr. Tony Costa out of Toronto, Canada and, and several others. So the Lord's really blessed me. Uh, and we're talking about uh, a bunch of different issues, such as the canon, Marian dogmas, and a, and a bunch of other things. Yeah, absolutely. But and before, and we, we will get into all that stuff because it's definitely something. Um, especially, you've had debates recently with our mutual friend Trent Horn about the Marian dogmas, and of course Gary Machuda on the canon of the Old Testament. But what I like to do on this show, Steve, before we get into what the work you're doing, is talk about your story, like how you, how you became a Christian. Can you tell us a little bit about that? No, definitely. I mean, I was raised in a very loving and a very devout Roman Catholic um, family and upbringing. I uh, graduated from a uh, Catholic grade school, high school and, and college. And I had, a, I had, as I said, a very wonderful upbringing. Um, and, you know, a lot of people say, you know, that we, why did you um, convert over to being a Protestant, which I did towards the end of my Catholic college education. It wasn't anything bad. I mean, I, I, I loved the priests. I had had good education and the lay people and everything. So it was strictly theological uh, differences. Um, and uh, I guess it's, I, I went through Catholic grade school, high school and college. And then um, once I converted to being a Protestant, I really got interested in the Bible more because we were taught catechism a lot and we were taught religion and Right. And um, I was very well catechized. You know, that's another thing that people say, well, you left because you weren't well catechized. Well, I was, you know, and um, when I started studying the Bible, I actually had a desire to teach it to other people. And so my ministry, so to speak, uh, was mainly doing Bible home Bible studies out of my own home. And I think as time goes on, depending on the nature of the culture of our culture, uh, we may go back to um home churches. In fact, I got friends of mine that are doing home churches right now, you know, and so I've been doing that for about 15 years, uh, doing home Bible studies. And as far as my um, uh, conversion goes, like it says, it was just, I had the desire to know what the Bible says, you know, and when I started reading the Bible, I really fell in love with Jesus, you know, and, and it's not that I wasn't devoted to my religion. I was, I loved mm -hmm. being a Catholic, but um, I really fell in love with Jesus the more I, the more I began to study the Bible. And then it wasn't until later that I started writing books, which just, um, I happened to fall into that. And then the apologetics kind of grew out of that. Okay. So what was it about reading the Bible that, I guess, made you fall head over heels in love with Jesus? <laughs> um, honestly, pardon yeah, the pun, by the way. 
Yes, <laughs> yeah, pun, pun understood. Um, <clears throat> well, um, one, one thing that, that I have to um, give kudos to is that when you walk into a Roman Catholic church, it's very visual. I mean, you see, the first thing that you see when you walk in the, into um, into a Catholic church is Jesus on the cross. I mean, and that just tells the whole picture of what he did for us. He, he died for our sins and you see a lot of other things, you know, that are around. And um, growing up, I was very ritualistic. And, and as you know, in, in Roman Catholicism, there's a lot of rituals that go on, you know, during the mass, you know, how you genuflect, how you bow, et cetera, and everything. Um, and there, is, what people don't realize that there is a lot of the Bible in the Mass. You know that you know there's a first reading, there's a second reading, there's the, there's the homily, you know, etc. And, and even in a lot of the songs, people kind of miss that. Um, but when I began to read the Gospels, and my favorite, honestly, is the Gospel of John out of all, all four of the Gospels. Um, I, I really got to feel like I knew Jesus personally when I started actually reading. The, uh, the gospels to kind of give like a secular example there's a author by the name of eric metaxas and and he's written uh, lots of books on um on martin luther he's uh, written written about um uh diedrich bonhoeffer and the way he writes by the time you finish reading his books you feel like you personally know these people and when i'm reading the bible i felt like i personally knew jesus almost like uh, the scriptures were being written specifically for me yeah, and I couldn't agree more with the Gospel of John. It's my favorite. I love the Gospel of John. I love the letters of John. Um, mm -hmm. I find myself going back to them over and over again. And every time I read them through, I, there's something else that just jumps out at me. And like you said, makes me love Jesus even more. Um, so I couldn't agree with you more on that. So you, so at the end of college, you're you're reading scripture. You're falling in love with Jesus. Um, you become a registered nurse. And... You started writing books, but how long did that take from the time you graduated college to the writing and then to the apologetics? Yeah, oh, good questions, all of them. Um, I um, converted, I would say, in August 2004, and I was, it was towards the very end of my college, uh, educate, college education. And just to give you an idea, I graduated in December 2005, so it was, it was a little over a year. And, you know, and during that time, I started reading the Bible. I was invited to a, a Bible study where my uh, mom works because her boss was offering Bible studies and saying, hey, you don't have to come. But if you want to come, I'm going to teach the Bible. And my mother was the same way. She always wanted to know what the Bible was about because she knew catechism, but she didn't know scripture. And I started going and I'd have to say those first two years were just instrumental in me under, really understanding what Jesus was all about, what he did on the cross, the Gospels, etc., um, so after I graduated, um, in, in uh, December of 2005, um, it, I started doing, I got, we joined a church and, um, you know, that, uh, teaches the Bible exponentially where they would spend probably a half hour to 40 minutes, you know, uh, exegeting the scriptures. I became a chairman of the uh, missions committee there. Um, at one point I had been a chaplain at the YMCA for the silver sneakers, and I did that for about three years as well. Um, and then my first book that I actually wrote, uh, not really of us, Why Do Children of Christian Parents Ban in the Faith, was back in 2014. And it actually grew out of a home Bible study, believe it or not. And what it was is that I had been familiar with Ken Ham from Answers in Genesis, and he had mentioned as many as two-thirds of uh, people who grew up uh, in some type of Christian Christian tradition, whether it be Protestant, Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic, whatever, 
um, they're leaving the church, you know, so it's not just one particular group. I mean, this is happening all over and that it's, and people have always left the church, you know, at one point or another, but it, it seems to be almost like a, a pandemic, so to speak, a spiritual pandemic like all over the world. And it's, and at the time I had written it, it was, it was about the book. It was about um, 10 or 15 years that this was going on. And I, and I had even noticed it even in, um, you know, where I was growing up in, you know, there, there was, there was this apathy almost for the Bible and apathy for God. And and, it get, and the world has gotten to be really postmodern. So I knew there was a desire for this. My wife had raised both of her daughters, um, uh, Christian, and the one daughter became a professed atheist after wanting to go into missions. And uh, her other daughter became a non-practicing Catholic. And I want to emphasize the word non-practicing because there are those Catholics that are non-practicing that are no more you know, uh, religious or Catholic than, than, than an atheist. And then there are those that um, really, truly desire to want to know Jesus. You know, so I want to emphasize mm -hmm. that point. Sure. You know, and she was more of the former you know, and I want to know how kids could grow up in this church and some walk away from the faith and some don't. And that's why I wrote that book. And then the second book, um, Why Protestant Bibles Are Smaller, kind of grew out of the first book, because one of the things that people argue about why they walk away is because if you take a look at all the different traditions under Christendom, they don't agree on all the same things, including the canon of scripture. And, and I had known since my uh, early days when I was treasurer of the Knights of the Altar in my former parish, that um, there were different books in um, Catholic Bibles that weren't in Protestant Bibles because we I had a new Catholic version that was my great grandmother's version of the Bible that we had in our home. But we also had a Gideon Bible, one of those books that, right. but those Bibles that you, you find in hotel rooms. You know, I don't know how we got it, but um, <laughs> you know, and I just started perusing it. It's something that you wouldn't think a thirteen-year-old boy would do, but you know, I guess I didn't have better things to do and. I just started noticing that there were differences and there were books missing in the Protestant Bible. So I kind of got interested in that. And that led to me writing my second book, which ultimately led to debates and interviews. And here we are today. Right now, a lot of people, people listening may be surprised to learn what you just said that, you know, Catholics, Eastern Orthodox Protestants have different numbers of books in their Bibles. Why do you think that's such an important issue to understand? Good question. And I think the reason it's important to understand is because as Catholics and Protestants and other traditions would agree, Jesus built a church, you know, Matthew 16, 18, and upon this rock, I'll build my church. And there's, there's, there's disagreements about what or who the rock is, you know, but that's a topic for another discussion. Um, but the, the, since he built the church, um, whatever church would be the church that Jesus built at the bare minimum, uh, they would have the exact number of books that um, Jesus and the apostles and had embraced, no more, but also no less, you know, so if you know, Protestants are missing books, then uh, at the bare minimum, they can't be the church that Jesus um, built. And if other traditions have books in there that are not inspired, but that but they believe in inspired, then they can't be that particular um, church as well. The other thing too, is that the Council of Trent and the Catechism of the Catholic Church both state that Jesus and the apostles had handed down these books hand to hand all the way down to the council itself. And I wanted to look into see if, you know, that claim was true. I wanted to look into the history of it. I wanted to see if there was an, anything implicitly mentioned in scripture because Catholics and Protestants will agree that there isn't any like official list. It's not like mm -hmm. at the end of Revelation, John writes down, okay, here are the books of the Old Testament, here are the books of the New Testament. 
you know, but there are ways of still being able to discern from scripture, at least implicitly, uh, what, um, what the canon is. And, um, and of course, there's disagreements between the traditions, you know, um, you know, what, what the canon is and, and, and the implicit, implicitly um, what the New Testament uh, arrives at. What's the biggest thing that you think you learned from writing that book? The, the, the second book, Why Protestant Bibles Are Smaller? Yes. Um, I, I think one thing that I, one of the things that I really learned, and because and honestly, it, it was a discovery process for me. I mean, I, cause I read a lot on that. Um, one of the things that I had learned early on, you know, was uh, actually, well, I should say what I assumed early on is that I believe that the, 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 that there was a set canon that the Jews had, just like there's a set canon that Protestants have and Catholics have, et cetera. Um, and it, it was around, I want to say 2010 or so, I, I came across a video by Jimmy Aiken from Catholic Answers, and he stated that, um, that Sadducees only believe in the five books of Moses, which I found out later is, 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 is debatable. And that the Pharisees had the same books in it that um, that uh, Protestants have. And I started doing some more digging, and I had learned the difference between the different Pharisaic schools, such as Hillel and Shammai. And uh, and um, Gary Machuda it was actually really helpful because he had stated in a post-debate interview that uh, that the school of Shammai had the exact same books that Protestants do today, and it's something that he, William Albrecht, and Trent Horn actually all agree on. And I realized that I, found, I discovered that the Apostle Paul was from the school of Hillel. He was, he was from the Pharisaic school of Hillel, just as Gamaliel was, uh, who was actually the grandson of Hillel. You know, so th that was something that was really interesting. And, then, and um, I, I have to say that sometimes the best teachers are the ones who don't agree with you. You know, there's that old saying that iron sharpens iron, which is right. actually from scripture. And it really forced me to refine and um, focus and uh, really uh, dig into myself and, and to be honest with myself, as far as any type of presuppositions that I had to the canon to begin with. And honestly, I have to give kudos and thanks to those who um, disagreed with me, because sometimes they can be a better teacher than those that simply want to agree with you. Yeah, and I think that's an important lesson that I think we could learn is, well, one, we're not going to always have all the answers. It's okay to say, I don't know, but it's okay to, you know, you have to understand what the other side is saying and not just develop those straw man arguments and all that stuff, dig deep, do the research. And I think you've done that in your book. I've read your book a couple of times. I think it's a great book. And Steve, I do have a question though. Yeah. And, and before you go, just to kind of sure. build on what you're saying, because I was just thinking about this too. Sure. You said, what other thing I would learn, honestly, if I were to write the book again today, like if I were to write a second edition, which I don't plan on doing, but if I did, I would probably change a few things around there because I realized there's a few things that might have been a little confusing to people that were reading it. Um, and another thing, too, is I hadn't read Beckwith yet, Roger Beckwith, the Old Testament um, canon of the New Testament church. And for anybody who really wants to get into the meeting, and I highly recommend this book because I had only read um, authors and, and scholars like Lee Martin McDonald, who I cited in my book. And he was the one, and uh, Beckwith was the one who really taught me about the um, Abel to Zechariah and the rabbinic name conflation, because I had never heard about that before. And when I read that, um, if anybody were to get that book for any other reason, I would say it's that. And, and, it, and it's something that can, can kind of get confusing. I'm um, even Gary Machuda had, and Trent Horn uh, didn't quite understand the name conflation argument. And I found that to be very compelling and a real silver bullet 
for my case. And in the chapter where I talk about Abel and Zechariah, I would probably add that in there as well. So sorry, I just wanted to add that bit. It was a bit long, but um, go ahead with your question, William. Oh, and it just goes back to a conversation we had over a year ago now. How'd you come up with the name of the book? <laughs> Believe it or not, some people think, most people think that it is a play on words of Gary Machuda's book, Why Catholic Bibles Are Bigger. It's actually not. It's actually, um, I had called in about five years ago to Catholic Answers, and I talked with Trent Horn, who I never thought I was going to be a, debating a couple of years later. And he had a program saying, why, why are, aren't you Catholic? And I had talked with them, and I had uh, explained to him about the canon. And, and, you know, and, and when you're on a radio show like that, it's not like here where you can dialogue you know, for long periods of time. Um, it's got to be quick because the guy gets all their callers. And I understood that. And after he got off, I got off with him, he made the comment, well, instead of asking the question, why are Catholic Bibles bigger, perhaps we should ask the question, why are Protestant Bibles smaller? And I remember thinking, man, that would be a great title for a book. I hope somebody um, um, uh, writes at that someday, you know, and then I had found out my Gary's book, why Catholic Bibles are bigger. And I was in different chats trying to defend the Protestant canon. My, my wife, Lucia says, Steve, you got all this information. Why don't you just write a book? And I'm like, I don't know where to start. So I started with the introduction just to kind of make it fun at first. And I just started building and building. I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be uh, uh, really short. I'm going to be about two chapters or something and end up turning it into a 270 page book. Cause I just kept building and building. And I kept trying to uh, wonder what questions were going to be asked, what, you know, what, what's going to be the objections and everything. And, and, uh, and so what I did is I just kind of reworded a little bit. And when I found out about Gary's book, I'm like, okay, it, I, I'll, I'll just word it a little differently, but replace Catholic with Protestant and, and replace bigger with smaller. And, and that's how I got the title of the book. Now you've debated Gary and Trent. What did they, and I assume, did you tell them about how you got the title? Yeah, I did. You know, and, and actually when I was on Pines, Pines with Aquinas, when I debated a, um, Trent on the canon, I made the comment that I actually had to give kudos uh, to Trent, you know, because he's the one that actually was responsible for me coming up with the title of the book. And, and, and so we got a good chuckle out of that, you know. Oh, that's cool. So in your apologetics ministry, what, what's been kind of the low points that you had to go through to get to where you are now? Uh, the, I, honestly, the frustrating part is you, you know what the Bible says, you know what the, what it says about the gospel and the hardest part is trying to reach people because when I first became a Christian, I thought to myself, oh, this is going to be easy because the further along that we go in time, the more evidence there is for Christianity. You know, there, there's this there's this correlation. You know, like if you were to put it on, on the map, you look at time, you look at evidence and it's just straight up, you know, and we, we have more evidence for the resurrection of Jesus being than any, any time before. In right. the past. And yet more and more people are walking away from the faith. More and more people are rejecting it you know and it's then i think i have to say that's probably the most frustrating part because you know that if they die rejecting jesus as lord and savior and they don't and don't submit to him as, as as their master they're going to spend eternity in hell i mean there's no second chance after death and this is something that even catholics and protestants agree right. with there's no second chance after death and i have to keep reminding myself that um that it's the Holy Spirit that changes a person's heart. It's not ours. Our job is to share the gospel with people to say that Jesus's death on the cross was sufficient, that his shed blood is what saves us, you know, and there's a point where it's like, it's tricky with me between debating versus witnessing to somebody because the line can really blur sometimes. 
And when there's a point that if a person just wants to debate for the sake of debating and they don't want to know the truth, there's a point where you have to do what Jesus said in the Gospels and um, leave that town and, and dust the uh, and wipe the dust off your feet. What's kind of the high points that you've experienced? High points I've experienced is you never know who you're going to reach um, until either you reach glory or until they contact you later. And I was, uh, when I had my debate with Gary, I mean, I, I have to say, despite, I, despite the fact that I disagree with Gary and Trent on the issue of the canon, I couldn't picture two people that I respect more who are more not knowledgeable about this. And they actually helped sharpen my skills, you know, and um, it, it really helped me when I had my later discussions as well. So, so, so I, I give them all the credit and the respect in the world. Um, and you don't know, like, this is who you're going to touch. And about a year after I had my debate with Gary, which means I had my debate with Trent on the canon as well, because I had a debate with him a few months later, I got a contact, I got um, contacted by somebody who made the comment that um, they had um, watched both of my debates and they were really on the fence because uh, this individual was uh, had been different religions and different forms of Christianity, and and he says that after listening to both debates, he really felt that um, that the that my case you know was favorable that I had quote unquote won the debates. And as you know, when you have debates, it's subjective. I mean, it's it, it there's no winner or loser. You know, it, it's it's the individual has to determine that for themselves. You know, and um, I've also had other people you know contact me and say you know that they've read, you know, one or two of my books, uh, like the first one, not really of us. And it, it revitalized their, their faith for Christ. And they saw, and they could see that there really is the evidence there that they didn't realize wasn't there before. And, and that they prayed and the Holy spirit changed their hearts and they're serving Jesus now. So that's rewarding. And I say, you know, I don't debate just for the sake of debating, but rather share the gospel. And if one person comes to Christ or one person's been positively influenced, um, then, then I did it for the right reason. Now you've had, like I said, you've had a number of debates. You've had debates about the candidate with Gary Machuda, Trent Horn. You also recently debated Trent Horn on the Marian dogmas. <laughs> um, so what, what, what was your, what's your interest in the Marian dogmas and are you going to do anything else um, along that path in the future? Yeah, actually um, what happened is, is that it was about a year after we had our debate and I think Trent had meant, meant something on his uh, podcast, uh, the council of Trent you know, uh, which you can see on YouTube. And he was, I think he was talking something about the Marian dogmas. And so I had made a very, very amateur video and I'm being nice about that um, on uh, the, bio, about, um, sorry, the perpetual virgin he married. Did Jesus have biological brothers and sisters? And did Joseph and Mary have other children after the birth of Jesus? And I made this a long time ago and, and all it was was basically me writing uh, words in, in the Greek and English and everything and, and trying to explain from scripture, you know, affirming that they did. And it was, it, and it wasn't about the early church fathers. It was strictly from scripture. And it was, um, it was, it's really short. It's only about a 14 minute debate and you can go on my YouTube channel and you can see it under, um, you know, on, under my Mary, the mother of Jesus playlist. And I did that about a decade ago and it's reached around, uh, I think at the, at this point, about 105,000 views. And oh, it's wow. got, yeah, I know. And it's like, I never thought, and, and, a, and a lot of it was just comments. And no, it wasn't me going on 105,000 times watching, watch the video. <laughs> you know, it, it was legitimately like people actually viewing it. So, um, so, the, so I had contacted Trent and, 
I said, Trent, I've done a lot of work on the perpetual virginity in Mary. I said, would you like to have a debate on this? I'm like, well, he might not. I mean, Trent's busy. He has a lot of people wanting to debate him and stuff. Four hours later, he emails me back and says, hey, let's do a debate on all of the Marian dogmas. I'm thinking, oh, nuts, because there's four Marian dogmas. You know, people don't realize that the Theotokos, the mother of God, that's, that's a dogma, too, in the Catholic Church. You know, and I says, well, you know what? We only have 15 minute opening statements and I don't want to bombard people with a lot. I says, how about we just do like one or two? Well, we compromised and we want to do three because the fact of the matter is Protestants and Catholics don't really disagree with Mary being the mother of God. The difference has to do with whether or not um, it's being used as a Christological title, such as how it's used, how it was used in the Council of Ephesus and the Cal mm -hmm. Council of Chalcedon. Uh, to refer to uh, Mary not just giving birth to the Christ, but she gave birth to, to God. It, it, you know that it was more about Christ rather than the the how it later uh, turned more into uh, Mary and where the whole Queen of Heaven thing happened. But I just made the comment that you know it's just a lot of information. Why don't we just focus on the three main dogmas: the perpetual virginity of Mary, the immaculate consumption, or bodily assumption? And she's and I says because that can be like a lot of information. And I had proposed about maybe doing three separate debates, and he goes. How about this? How about we do all three? We stick to scripture and talk about whether or not specific or scripture specifically contradicts these dogmas. And that way it can be really narrowed and focused. I'm like, okay, you know, it's challenging. I've got the burden of proof, you know, so we end up doing that. And it actually turned out to be, I think, a better debate than even the debate that we had earlier in the canon. And I noticed in the live chat, we had 300 more people watching it. And and uh, we, I think we've had, I don't know if we've had more views since then or not, or we, but if not, it's, it's catching up. So, so that's how we got on, on the debate on the Marian dogmas. Again, everyone, we're talking to Steve Christie and you can check out his YouTube channel that he just mentioned. It's uh, born again, RN, it's all one word on YouTube, plug that in. It'll pull this stuff up. And he has a bunch of different playlists there. Hey, Steve, one other question before I let you go. And again, I enjoy your time today. Thanks again for coming on. Sure. For anyone out there who's considering, maybe feels that tug to get into, well, apologetics or any other ministry, and obviously we got bills to pay, you're a registered nurse in addition to everything, what would you say to someone who is maybe feeling that tug in their heart and maybe, and, and also how do they juggle doing ministry and also paying the bills, essentially? Right. Um, and before I answer that question, you had mentioned, I just want to quickly plug a couple of things. Please. Um, I have a debate coming up with Michael Harrington. He's a Roman Catholic, and it's going to be on the Gospel uh, Truth YouTube channel with Marlon. And it's going to be on Tuesday, September 13th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we're going to be debate all four of the Marian dogmas. So, so we're going to include the fourth one that, that Trent and I didn't do. And I'm also on my YouTube channel. Um, I'm going to have a live discussion with a, a YouTuber called the Pale Ga Galilean. And we're going to talk about um, the, the typologies that Roman Catholics tend to use between um, Mary um, and the Ark of the Covenant. You know, so I, so I, so we're going to have a discussion about that, but getting back to your question, um, the scriptures are really clear that whatever you're called to do, um, to be obedient to the Lord and at this, but at the same time, we also have different responsibilities and the scripture is very clear that, um, there is a complementary relationship between men and women, you know, uh, it doesn't mean that women can't work, you know, scripture is clear that of examples of women that work. So I'm not going down that route. But um, if you're if your role is to be 
a worker and supply for your or, or provide for your family, that's what you're to do. Um, and certain apologetics, as one uh, um, pastor put it one time, the scripture does not have a uh, office of apologetics like they do, like pastor, teacher, and elder, and, and all that. Um, so I would say that your primary responsibility, if, if, you're, if you're a gentleman, is the care for your home, you know, and for your family. And, and the role of the female is to be a helper, you know, for that man, whatever that calls to do, whether it be working or staying at home, that's something that you have to prayerfully decide together as a, as a family unit. Uh, beyond that, when it comes to um, uh, ministry, if you're called to be a pastor, you know, and, and if that's what God wants you to do, uh, and you're a gentleman, then you are called to be a pastor, then go, in, go into ministry. Um, and you're, you're going to be able to tell if you've got the gift for ministry or, or not. You're going to have, you're going to know if you have the gift to be uh, a pastor or a missionary or anything like that. And, and to do so in prayer, I, I would say read James 1, 5 and meditate and pray on it and, and add, ask God for guidance uh, for that. As far as me juggling as a nurse and everything, like because that's that's what God has called me to do to be a nurse and 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 as a nurse, I, I will often pray over people uh, who are struggling, who are who are in health, and I'll I'll sit and pray with them as well. And um, that's that's something that you can do at work. So a lot some jobs you're not allowed to do that, you know. So I've been blessed with that. Um, so I would say I have to say your primary responsibility is what God calls you to do. And as far as your ministry is, and like with me juggling in my spare time, this is what I do. I, I go on on shows. I go on, um, uh, I do debates. I have discussions. I do that in my free time. And, and, um, I do that before I do anything else. Great advice. And no doubt your wife is very supportive in what you're doing. She's there every step of the way as well. Absolutely. Now, Steve, where can our listeners get a hold of you if they have questions or where can they check out your stuff? Right. Um, I got a website, but I'm not going to share that one because it's a bit of a mouthful and you can get to it anyways through my other channels. The best way to get hold of me is either on YouTube, Twitter, or Facebook, and I have the same handle. It's Born Again RN or at Born Again RN, and you can contact me through Messenger. You can leave um, comments or questions on my community message on YouTube, or just you know tweet me, you know, on, on Twitter. And and if you have questions, you know, I'll try to answer them. If I don't know, I'll say I don't know, but I'll try to get back with you and answer it for them. So great. Well, Steve, thanks again for your time today. It's a great conversation.